You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Word to the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 2. And uh, we're looking at some of the teaching in this book. I'm not sure we'll look at the whole book. Uh, because I have uh, done that before, but I wanted to particularly focus on these seven letters to the churches, and we had uh, looked at one last week, and we've gone back to the first one, to the church in Ephesus on Revelation, on page one, two, three, four. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I sometimes wonder if we actually read the New Testament because we have expectations of the church and ideas about churches that are in many ways far removed from the New Testament church. And what I mean by that is some of us live in a kind of idealized world where just as, I don't know, if if, if you're getting married and you are going to have a family, my recommendation would be don't take the Waltons or Little House in the Prairie as your guideline. Because life ain't like that and families ain't like that. And I'm sorry, I love the Waltons. I used to love the Waltons. Good night, John Boy. Good night, whatever it is, and all the rest of them. I used to love all of that. Um, But you can take that as your manual. But I sometimes wonder, you read about books about church and people have expectations of church and so on. And I I fear it's a bit fake. If I'm being honest with you. I fear we pretend sometimes and we're not willing to let God speak to us oh yeah we're into the word of God we can say all the right words but we find it very difficult to face up to reality and to truth I mean I I in one sense I hate that oh that God would give us the gift to see ourselves as others see us is Rabbi Burns thing and uh, it is very difficult to have to face up to uncomfortable truths about yourselves. But I find in churches, we, we are much more realistic about what's on in the world than we are in the church. And so therefore, it's an enormous shock when things don't go quite perfectly. And it's also an enormous relief to turn to the New Testament and to see what Jesus thought about the church. 
So this church in Ephesus, let's just look at it and you'll see how it applies to us as a congregation, to those of you who are visiting from other churches, and to those of you who are not Christians and you're wondering, what, what is all this Christianity actually about? Um, and you know, I think for, Christ, for those who are not Christians, I, I particularly want to get over and over again to explain to people what Christianity actually is, because most of what people reject is not Christianity. But I want to ask, what, what is Christianity really about? And this letter to the church in Ephesus helps us. Give a little context. It's a Greek colony. It's a busy commercial port situated near the mouth of the Caister River. It's the gateway to Asia. If you were coming as a refugee from Syria, you're coming through here. It uh, was a center for basically uh, lorry travel, except they didn't have lorries. It was caravans, but not the caravans that get pulled up the A9, the ones with camels and, and donkeys and so on. It was a religious place, the headquarters of the cult of Diana. Not Diana, Princess of Wales, but Diana Artemis, the Greek goddess. Her temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. You read in Acts chapter 19 about the gospel coming there. Amazing temple, 127 white marble columns, each 62 feet high. A stadium built near the temple that could seat 25,000 people. Uh, Some of us have actually been there, and it is really quite incredible. The remains of that city of a quarter of a million people, just a wee bit bigger than Dundee. And the church there met in that city, a city that was called the Light of Asia. And we know about Ephesus, those of you who know your New Testament history, that the last time that Paul visited it, he met with the elders And he warned them that even from their own number, there would arise those who would bring false teaching within the church. See, this is what I mean about the unrealism. Uh, I had a meeting this week, and somebody asked a really good question. How do we know that the free church won't turn away from the gospel? And here's the uncomfortable answer. We don't know that. We don't know. We have to pray that we won't. But if Ephesus, a church planted by Paul, you read the letter to the Ephesians, if this wonderful church could turn away, what is to stop any church stumbling and falling? And uh, as we read in this, uh, there are things that Jesus has to say to this church which are um, comforting and also warning. So, first of all then, what does Jesus do with his church? He holds the seven stars in his right hand. The stars were uh, a symbol of the, possibly the, the angels or the leaders, the pastors within the church. And Christ holds them in his hand. And the, the image always of God holding things in his hand is of security. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. See, Here's another problem we have with the church. People think if I belong to the right church and I'm, I, I just, you know, it's just sound enough and good enough and I behave well enough, then I'll be okay. But then something in the church goes wrong and you think, oh, oh how am I going to hold on to my salvation? The answer is it's Christ who holds on to you. What gives a church confidence is that Christ is holding on 
to you. Christ walks amongst the lampstands. That's the churches, if you like, and he's inspecting them. And I'll never forget uh, a sermon I heard by uh, Donald MacLeod one time in which he he was very graphic in his imagery and he almost did it. And I'm not going to do it, but he had this image of Jesus walking up and down the aisle, Jesus walking up and down, Jesus walking in through and just, just looking and examining and testing and inquiring. Because there's another unrealistic thing. How many of us dare pray, Jesus, would you please inspect my church? And Jesus, would you please inspect my life? Would you see if there's anything wrong within me? Would you lead me in the way everlasting? Because many of us go the opposite route. We say, no, Lord, you don't need to look at me. Can you look at them? Can you look at somebody else? And we can see the faults in other people and in other churches. But the thought of Christ inspecting us. Oh, no, no, Lord, I'm trusting in your grace. Don't inspect me. But it's his grace that causes him to examine. Because in verse 2, he says this, I know. I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. Christ has an intimate acquaintance with his people. There's a lovely description of this in one of the books I read that says, it's the absolute clearness of mental vision which photographs all the facts of life as they pass. Uh, I don't know how many of you are on Instagram. I actually tried to go on Instagram and I couldn't get it to work. So that shows you how technically incompetent I am because Instagram's meant to be dead simple. But the whole point about Instagram is you can take photographs and you can say things about your life and you can pass them on to anyone who's interested. And if they're interested in what you're eating for your tea, then they're going to be very pleased and happy and their lives will be fulfilled uh, as they share that. You share that with them. But imagine having a mind that could photograph all the facts of life as they pass, not just the images, but the things that actually happen. Understand and know. The only one who can do that is Christ. He is the only one who knows. He has an intimate acquaintance with us as a congregation. He has an intimate acquaintance with you. You cannot hide from God. You cannot run away from God. You can fake things with me. You can fake things with other people. As can I. But I can't hide from Christ. So he knows. He walks. He holds. And he speaks. Verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. He tells things as they are. He tells us what is in our favor. And he tells us what he promises So what's his assessment of the church in Ephesus and how does it apply to us? Firstly, he begins with praise. He praises their hard work. This was a serving church. Sometimes those of us who are Scottish, we are very humble people and we know that we are the most humble people on earth. Fars like us. Um, You know, someone will come up and praise you and I'm sorry, I'm going to go into some cultural differences here. Um, so if, uh, I'll, I'll just say it from my perspective as a preacher. I've noticed sometimes that preachers from other countries, namely that big one across the pond, sometimes someone will come and say, oh, that was a great sermon. It was just awesome. And they'll go, yeah, it was, wasn't it? A uh, Scottish preacher tends to go, oh, no, 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 it was rubbish. Oh, it was just, it was just terrible. I was, 
oh, no, 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 thank you. Know, and we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do with praise. What do you do with praise? I mean, um, I think there's a mature attitude to praise. Christ praises his church. Don't all of us need to be praised in some way and encouraged in some way? And that's just a very simple thing in the church. If you see someone doing something well, not because you want to flatter them, not because you want to win their favor, but why not encourage them and praise them for the good stuff that they do? Because I'm pretty sure that most of us here would moan about the bad stuff that people do. You know, um, we get something wrong and someone wants to have a go at us. Uh, But what if we get something right? I honestly don't think it is wrong to praise people. And Jesus praises this church for their hard work and for their perseverance. John, verses 2 and 3, John was in jail on Patmos when he received this revelation because of persecution in Ephesus. He was in Ephesus and the persecution came and he was taken away to Patmos. And the church kept going. It was a suffering church. It was a persevering church. One of our problems sometimes is we just give up too quickly. And here's another thing that jars in our culture. He praises them for being intolerant. I kind of like this, actually. But he does praise them. They, they've tested the false apostles. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. People who claim, came claiming to have apostolic gifts, people who came who wanted to be leaders in the church. And what did the church do? I find this fascinating. The church didn't go, oh, you belong to an apostolic network and you're apostles and yes, we listen to everything you say. They said, well, wait a minute, we're going to test you first. Now, there's an interesting one for congregations. You should never let anyone into the pulpit. The elders should never let anyone into the pulpit who hasn't been tested. How do you know what I'm going to say is the word of God? It should be tested. And that, for me, is, is very, very important. You have to trust. That it's, it's one of the key things in the church that we, we expect people to teach us the word of God, nothing less and nothing more. It was a, a steadfast church, tolerant, if you like, of people, but intolerant of false teaching. I'm astounded at how many times people say, I I, I might write something, for example, saying that this is wrong. And people say, how can you be so intolerant? And here's the answer, how I can be so intolerant. Because I love Jesus. And I don't want people to teach false things about Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus. And in the same way as I'd be intolerant of you if you started attacking my wife or children or whatever because I love them and, and you, don't, you don't go at them. In the same way, I'm going to be absolutely intolerant of anybody who attacks Jesus Christ, especially when they do so in the name of Jesus Christ. So, he's happy with them. But then verse 4 for me is devastating. This is a good church. Hardworking, persevering, orthodox, not tolerating false apostles, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken 
your first love. Now, here's the irony. They were warned by Paul, Acts 20, verses 25 to 35. They were warned about the false teachers. They are commended about the hard work, the hardships, and dealing with the false teaching. So they got that bit right, but their weakness was a coldness of heart. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Christ searches our hearts. He doesn't just test our doctrine or our knowledge. He searches our hearts. The men's group are going to be looking at G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy, which is a wonderful book, even though it's by a Roman Catholic who was unorthodox in some ways. But it's a wonderful book, Orthodoxy. People talk about orthopraxis. Orthodoxy means right thoughts, right thinking about God. Orthopraxis is right practice. But Christ here goes much deeper. It is all too easy to be so preoccupied with Christian service that we can turn away from Christ himself. You can serve at the CU lunch bar. You can help with Mission International. You can teach in the Sunday school. You can show hospitality at home. You can help with the Monday club and Aspire and all these different things. You can be busy, busy, busy doing the work of the Lord and yet turn away from Christ. How is that possible? It's so simple. I've done it and many others here have done it as well. Because... What we do for the Lord is important, but why we do it is even more important. So, again, just think of all your relationships. What you do for your partner is important. What you do for your children is important. What you do for your parents, what you do for your friends, it's really important. But why do you do it? Do you do it because they're afraid? Do you do it just because it's a duty? Do you do it to try and win favor? Or are you really doing it because you love them? This first love, you have forsaken your first love. What is that first love that these Ephesians had? I'll tell you what it is. First of all, it's personal. They loved. I love the Lord because he heard my voice. I love the Lord. I love Jesus. Some of us again going a national stereotype. As a Scotsman, I do find it quite difficult to say to somebody, I love you. I can say I love ice cream. I can say I love certain things. But actually saying it in the deepest sense of the word, sometimes, for some of us, it's difficult to say that. And sometimes, maybe we find it difficult to say that we love the Lord Jesus. We can sing it, but not feel it. It's personal. It's open. You can't keep it quiet. It's, it's, it's excited. Um, I love watching. See, I used the word in the wrong way there. I like watching uh, a young couple who are, you know, maybe they've just got married or whatever. And, but you can, they're still at that mega fresh stage where every word she says he treasures and vice versa. And they're, you know, they, 
in a good way, they can't keep their hands off each other. You know, they're just, they've got to walk down the street and they've got to hold hands all the time. And, you know, they're always looking out for one another. And you kind of want to say to them, it's quite funny, isn't it, actually? When a, a couple decide they're going to go out with each other, but they say, we're going to keep it secret because we don't want anyone to know just now. And if they're really, like, totally in love with one another, it's, it's so, they think that they're keeping it secret. And everyone's going, yeah, yeah, right. She goes out the door first. He follows two minutes after. Uh-huh. Yeah, we know. <laughs> you just see the look in their eyes and that when they talk about each other, the, it's, it's open. You just can't keep it away. An open love for Jesus, an excited love, an uninhibited love for Jesus, and a fervent love for Jesus. Because we need passion as well as purity. We need love as well as work. In Ephesians, if you read through Ephesians, love is used 20 times. So how do we know if we've lost our first love? Now, Because for some people, the way they identify this is they say, when I became a Christian, I had a dramatic experience, and I felt like I was floating on air, and everything was wonderful, and I don't feel that anymore. Is that what Paul's talking about? No, it's not. I think he's, what, what he's talking about is a gradual decline that also, interestingly enough, can happen in our other relationships. Most people don't have mega bust-ups. And then that's it. There's just a gradual decline which can lead to the mega bust-up. And there's a, a Puritan writer called Octavius Winslow who lists the things. And I thought this was really helpful. He says this, We know that we're beginning or that we have forsaken our first love when, and he lists these things, God becomes less an object of desire and contemplation. God's really just a word. Less an object of desire. There's a, a, we're not so intense about wanting to know him. There's a loss of confidence and trust. Before, if Jesus said jump, we would jump because we trusted him absolutely. Now we're saying, Lord, why? Why? There are hard thoughts of God in his dealings. Why are you doing this to me, God? What's going on? Duty rather than privilege in spiritual exercises. Yes, I'll pray because, and I'll read my Bible because I've got the McShane calendar and I've got to tick that so that it's done. And I will go to the prayer meeting and I will go to the services and I will do that because that's my duty. I've said this many times. My problem with people not attending an evening service in the church is not that they don't attend, it's that they don't want to. That's the problem for me because it's the desire. It's the desire. There's less spiritual sensitivity. What does that mean? That means that we can sit and be listening to this sermon right now and to be honest, it's just wafting over us because we're not listening. What is it? Speak to the heart, the hand ain't listening. Or speak to the hand. The heart ain't listening. That's where we're at so often. Winslow goes on. Christ becoming less glorious to the eye and precious to the heart. We talk about the beauty of Christ and we sing about the beauty of Christ. But to be honest, it's 
No more real to us than looking up at one of these stained glass windows. We need to ensure or ask the Lord that when we read his word, when we come together, we would see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Show me the beauty of Jesus. I was reminded when Ellie was telling her about our Chinese friend of a lovely Chinese girl who came to this church. Actually, she didn't come to the church. Came to a Christianity Explored. Remember, she came to our house for a Christmas meal, never having read a Bible, knowing nothing. And I think it was the very first, or maybe it was the second, Christianity Explored. Halfway through, she was crying. Why are you crying? Why are you crying? What's wrong? Is there something wrong? She said, no, no, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. It's just Jesus. He's so beautiful. He's so beautiful. Well, it was beautiful that she was baptized in Central Baptist and is still uh, a member there. But I thought, Christ becoming less glorious to the eye and precious to the heart. Love to Christ's people starting to decay. That's a very obvious sign. If you love someone, you love whom they love. Jesus so loved his people that he died for them. But Christ's people are becoming a real pain to you. Our interest in the advancement and prosperity of the cause of Christ beginning to wane. That is also a real sign of a lack of love to Jesus. Doesn't it bother you? That people don't know who Jesus is? Doesn't it bother you that his name is not glorified throughout the earth? Doesn't it bother you that you can't really pray with any heartfelt meaning, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Doesn't it cause you to weep when people use his name as blasphemy and when people mock and abuse his church and himself? That's a sign that your love for Jesus, you've lost your first love. You've lost it. We take refuge when we do that in formality. We become professional Christians. Jeremiah 2.2, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. What a beautiful image. There's the groom walking through the desert and his bride is so in love that the bride walks through the desert with him. But we were once like that. Now Jesus tells us to go not even in a desert but in a slightly parched land and we say, oh, whoa, I'm not going there. 2 Corinthians 11, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I am a Christian. I am trusting in the grace of Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus. I would never wander. I would never stray. And I'm a good five-point Calvinist, and I believe in the perseverance of the saints. And good for you because that's orthodox and correct doctrine. And if you're an Arminian and you don't believe in that, you need to talk to me afterwards because we'll sort you out. But that is orthodox and correct and biblical doctrine. But it is not orthodox and correct and biblical doctrine to say, I will never stray. 
I will never be led astray from my sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Somebody objected to me one time singing the words, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Maybe that person was right for them, but they weren't right for me and they weren't right for most of us. We are, I believe we are all prone to wonder, prone to leave the God we love. And that's why Jesus comes and in his love warns his church. I entitled the whole of this sermon after the Righteous Brothers song. You've lost that loving feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Where is the love that first I knew when first I knew the Lord's? It's fallen from love to hard labor. So how do they remedy this? This is what he tells them. Remember the height from which you have fallen. You were, you remember, remember how it was? Remember how you were floating? Remember how you were up there? Remember how you were motivated in your love for Jesus? And now everything is like trawling through mud. Remember, contrast the warmth of your past devotion with your present coldness. Secondly, repent. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I think I probably need to repent of pride every day. And I think I probably do need to repent. Lord, I don't love you as much as I should. Repent. And do. Now, isn't it interesting? It's not repent and feel the feelings that you felt at first. But repent and do. This is a church that's hardworking. Yeah, but do what? The way to regain this warmth of affection, writes one man, is neither by working up spasmodic emotion or by theorizing about it, but by doing its duties. And let me suggest to you what that doing is. It's an old phrase. The ordinary means of grace, the means by which God communicates Christ to us, reading the word and prayer and fellowship with God's people, everything else stems from that. How many times has the devil said to you, do you know that you are too tired? Do you know that you're not in a good place spiritually right now, so you just need to stay away from the word or stay away from God's people? It has been one of the devil's most successful tricks. It was lovely this morning to be encouraged by a lady who came up and said, I wasn't going to come this morning. I was really tired, not feeling all that well, but I really wanted to come and hear God's word, and I feel so refreshed. Do. Remember, repent, do. And then look at verse 5. If you don't, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You'll cease to be a church because a church without love cannot remain a church. Ichabod, the glory has departed. And it did happen in Ephesus. Ephesus has disappeared both as a church and really as a city. A church without love cannot remain a church. And I've seen in my lifetime, I've been a minister for over 30 years. Have I? Oh, I don't know. Nearly 30 years. And I have seen churches that were once shining lights that you would just love to be part of. And where are they now? They're dead or dying. 
And the reason primarily is they lost love for Jesus and they lost love for his word and they became proud. Remember, now he commends them again for hating the practices, practices of the Nicolaitans. Interesting that to hate their practices, not so much them. They were an early Gnostic sect who basically justified sensual, sinful indulgence um, in the name of Christian liberty. They said, oh, don't worry. It doesn't matter if you do all this because Jesus will forgive you and everything will be fine and spiritual perfection cannot be imparted by sensual indulgence. So eat, drink, and be merry, have sex, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. And Jesus says, I hate that. I hate that teaching. And I'm glad that you hate it too. But I don't want you just to hate what's wrong. I want you to love me. So, come back to all of this. Where are we in this? I think we are very like Ephesus. Because I want to praise people in this church. I I don't know the churches that other people come from. But the hard work and the commitment. Do you know, it's an absolute joy to be part of St. Peter's. It's an absolute joy to be part of a church that's buzzing at times. And when there's stuff happening, good and bad, all the time. It's wonderful to hear about all the different things going on and even to go from here and, and pray for what we've heard about tonight with the student work, but the Aspire Project or the elderly people or um, many, many other things going on. I had a meeting this week with uh, around 30 people up in Montrose who want to plant a new church there and start a new church. And it's just so exciting to be part of all of that. And I love the people here and the hard work, and there are so many things to commend. And I am sure that Jesus would come and he would absolutely commend us for many things. And that's not being arrogant. I think that's an honest evaluation. However, and we don't tolerate error, by the way, as well. I'm sure he would commend us for that. But, and it's a big, it's a massive but, We, many of us, could easily have lost our first love. And when that happens, we will drift into formality and we will drift into routine and we will drift into cynicism and we will drift into bitterness and instead of being spiritually sensitive to Christ, we become sensitive to other people. We will find ourselves being easily distracted by the devil. Holiness gets far removed from us Holiness becomes something legalistic and not something beautiful becoming like Jesus Christ. And the Lord says, I want you. I I want you to hate the practice of those who teach false teaching. I want you to hate their teaching. And I want you to be hardworking. And I want you to persevere. But most of all, I want you to love me. I want you to weep. I want you to care. Isn't that what most of us want with our friendships and our relationships? That we just, you know, one of these, I, can't, I was just thinking the ridiculous film, what was it? I'm just a girl who wants to be loved. Or I'm just a boy who wants to be loved. And, you just, and everyone goes, oh. But actually that's true for all of us. I, there's not a single, you can be as hard-hearted and cynical as you like. But you want to be loved. And Jesus says that he loves us 
and he wants us to love him. I think that's one of the most extraordinary condescensions of God that Jesus does want us to love him. Verse 7 says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. To him who overcomes, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Well, Revelation 22 verse 14 tells us about that tree of life. Do you know what that is? The whole story of the Bible is squeezed between the two trees. The tree in the Garden of Eden, the tree of knowledge and good and evil. The tree which resulted in man being excluded. We were taken out because we disobeyed. We were excluded from paradise. And by the time you get to the end of Revelation, the tree of life, it's there. And we're in, we're invited in. Paradise is a Persian word meaning pleasure park. And in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, it was applied to the Garden of Eden. Ezekiel 28, 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, and emerald, chrysolite, oinks, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. It here, paradise here denotes heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. And that's what we are promised, heaven. Pleasure park. How paradoxical that there are Christians today who will seek their pleasure in means other than Jesus Christ. Who will go home from church and switch on a computer and watch pornography. Who will indulge themselves in too much alcohol or too much food. Who will live during this coming week for pleasure but not for Christ. Not realizing that the pleasures of this world, even though they may be good and they are good, without Christ, very easily turn sour. Love Jesus. Love Jesus is the absolute key to life. You know that, most of you know that uh, we said goodbye to Emma Jane uh, yesterday, and it's something that's very much on my mind, and um, I have to say that for me, it was, it was very emotional coming back in the car, and uh, the temptation not to message her every, I think she's so glad at the moment she doesn't have a phone, uh, because the temptation not to be, how are you doing, how's it, you know, that's, um, it's a, it's an interesting stage of life, to be at. But you want to be with people whom you love. You want to share with people whom you love. And I, to Emma Jane, you're trying, I'm trying to give her some advice about being a student and the different things. You know, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, I could, I, I could have a whole list. I could have a hundred things. She probably thinks I do. But I'll tell you this. This is the absolute advice more than anything else. If she gets this, I'm not worried about anything. Love Jesus. Love Jesus. Now I know you're here and you've got problems and you've got difficulties and you've got hassles and you've got troubles. And I'm not saying you don't think about them or you don't try and work them out and so on. But I am saying this. Get the foundation right. Get the foundation right. Love Jesus. 
And it's amazing what he does for you and how he helps you work things through. I think that for me and for you and for every one of us, we have many needs, but our deepest need is to grow in love for Christ. And that's why Paul writes in all his letters so many times, he prays, I pray that you would know the height and the depth and the, the breadth of the love of Christ, a love which is beyond knowing. Because asking someone to love Jesus is just asking them to know him. Because when you see him and you know him, you love him. May God grant that whoever you are, wherever you are, in your spiritual journey, that you would come to know and understand and love Christ better. You're not a Christian. You've got to start. You've got to find out about Jesus because once you see him, you'll love him. And if you are a Christian, just remember how many times you've turned around and turned away. Let's not do that. Let's turn towards him. Let's remember the height from which we have fallen and repent and do the things we did at first. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you walk amongst the churches and you live amongst your people and you come to us as a church and to us as individuals and you graciously and firmly and clearly point to our deepest needs and your word acts like a surgeon's scalpel cutting deep into our hearts so that it's almost painful how accurate it is. It's like the most precise laser-guided surgery. You knew before we came here what we needed to hear and you know every detail of our hearts. Lord, cleanse us from the things that pervert and blind and destroy and grant us the life that comes from your spirit, from your word, from yourself. Grant us hope. Grant us encouragement. Grant us knowledge of you so that most of all, we would love you. We would love you because you heard our cry, because you gave us life, because you saved us from death, and because you are who you are. Lord, may each of us go from this place humbled, but encouraged and blessed by your presence. In your name, amen. I'm going to finish by singing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.